This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Yes, that would be me, croaky voice and all. I will be here for the next hour. To first off, remind you that next week is our annual Pledge Drive program. We need to raise at least $50,000 to keep this station going. The truth is we have a lot of equipment that is antiquated and does desperately need to be upgraded. We do have a core staff here at KDVS, people with full-time positions. They need to get their modest pay. And this all is pretty serious business. The California Aggie, at present, was forced to cease publication, except in an online version, owing to financial difficulties. We will be talking to Elizabeth Orpina about that, Aggie Editor-in-Chief. This is quite a shocking development after 100 years of publication. And, my dear listener, it must not happen to us at KDVS. We are counting on you, and I'll have more to say about that before we uh, finish today. I want to thank all of you also for the numerous favorable comments we received about last week's program. We certainly did enjoy our chat with author Thomas Getz about his book, The Remedy, Robert Koch, Arthur Conan Doyle, and the Quest to Cure Tuberculosis. And we certainly also enjoyed our chats with Chloe Lassard, Public Affairs Director here at KDVS, and our fellow host, Dr. Andy Jones. And I should point out that Chloe and Dr. Andy are also depending upon you, dear listener, to keep our nose above water. We have a lot of ground to cover today and a lot of things have backed up, so we will probably dispense with the guests for the remainder of the program. Let us begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 17th of April. It was on April 17th in 1790 that American statesman, printer, scientist, writer, and humorist Benjamin Franklin died in Philadelphia. He was 84. Franklin helped draft the Declaration of Independence, secured French military and economic aid during the Revolution, and helped negotiate the Treaty of Paris, which formerly ended the war with Great Britain. It can be argued that Benjamin Franklin had more to do with the United States becoming an independent nation than any other individual, George Washington included. And here's one I didn't know much about. On April 17, 1945, U.S. Lieutenant Colonel Barris Pash commandeered over a half a ton of uranium at Strasfort, Germany. This was an effort to prevent the Russians from developing an A-bomb. Pash was head of the Alsos Group, organized to search for German scientists in the post-war environment in order to prevent the Russians, previously allies but now a potential threat, from capturing any scientists and putting them to work on their own atomic research plants. Christian, reading that little blurb, I realized that the writer may not have been aware of the fact that the war hadn't ended yet and the Soviet Union still was our ally. But he is correct in noting that a lot of people off the European continent were already looking at the USSR as a future enemy. Which marks an interesting segue into the fact that it was on April 17, 1961, that the ill-fated Bay of Pigs invasion began with 1,200 lightly armed American-backed Cuban exiles wading ashore with the goal of toppling Fidel Castro. This CIA-organized expedition was a colossal, spectacular failure, 
and fully cemented the control of the Castro brothers over the island nation, which they still run today in 2014, 53 years later. And finally, on a happier note, it was on April 17th in 1970 that the severely damaged Apollo 13 spacecraft managed to return safely to Earth four days after an explosion aborted its mission to land on the moon. Hey, Houston, we've had a problem here. Can say again, please? Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. Apollo 13 is indeed a hell of a story. Pretty good movie with Tom Hanks and an even better book by Jeffrey Kluger. And speaking of space, we hope you caught the lunar eclipse last Monday night. We were very well positioned for this one here on the west coast of the United States. And if you looked at the moon through binoculars or a small telescope, you would have noticed that unlike the regular full moon, which is flat lit and appears to be rather two-dimensional, when in the middle of an eclipse, the moon does indeed look like an orb hanging up there in space. And as a bonus, right above it was the planet Mars in all of its glory. Mars was the brightest it's been in the last two years and the brightest it's going to be for the next two years, which was kind of a cool thing to have happen during the eclipse. Our quote today comes from Eudora Welty, who said, Never think you've seen the last of anything. Which is pretty scary when they start talking about Jeb Bush running for president. Because we certainly hope that We've seen the last of Bush presidencies. Then again, it is fair to note that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. But I can tell you this, the GOP nominates another Bush, and I'm going to start looking at property in Costa Rica. Not that Obama has stopped the war in Afghanistan, which he was voted in to do back in 2008, but at least he hasn't gotten us involved in any new ones. Although he did have some thoughts about Syria, which we'll have more to say about later in the program. But moving right along, our quip of the day comes from Doris Day, which must be a first. Said Doris, people hear what they see. I do want to note that Mike Deaver and Roger Ailes and company learned that a long time ago when it comes to TV news. All right, I think we need some jokes of the day. For that, I want to thank the late night TV writers for Seth Meyers and David Letterman. Said Letterman's writers, the population in New York City has grown by a quarter of a million people in the last 10 years. And you know what else? Most of those people are talk show hosts. Said the writers for Seth Meyers, Al Sharpton responded to accusations that he served as an FBI informant, saying, I was not and am not a rat. I'm a cat. I chase rats. Added Myers Riders, I was not an informant on a boat. I was not an informant on a goat. I was not an informant in the rain. I was not an informant on a train. Al Sharpton working for the FBI. I, I'm not sure who that reflects worse on. The FBI, probably. Also from Seth Meyers Riders, we have this. A couple in Michigan is being sued for $2 million after they burned down their apartment complex while trying to cook a squirrel with a blowtorch. Myers added, I'm not an accountant, but it sounds to me like they might not have $2 million. And as a public service announcement, we would add, if you do intend to cook a squirrel, 
please barbecue or use a pot and pan. Our anecdote of the day comes from the life of the late John Dobson. Dobson passed away earlier this year. We've been meaning to talk about him briefly. I guess this is the time. John Dobson was, in fact, a Beijing-born zoology professor and musician. He earned a chemistry degree from the University of California at Berkeley and cloistered himself away in a Hindu monastery in Berkeley. While there, Dobson cobbled together a crude reflective telescope using a discarded porthole window from a, re- marine, from a marine salvage yard. After his first intimate view of the moon with his own telescope, he said, everybody's got to see this. From that point on, Dobson was the Johnny Appleseed of amateur astronomy. He would set up telescopes on the sidewalks of San Francisco and would reel in passers-by like a carnival barker. He lectured across the country and wrote a book, How and Why to Make a User-Friendly Sidewalk Telescope. Most importantly, his simple design, featuring recycled glass, cardboard tubes, and an innovative mount made of plywood, allowed amateur astronomers to inexpensively create fairly sophisticated and large telescopes. In fact, Thomas Bopp used a Dobsonian telescope back in 1995 to discover what was later named the Hale-Bopp Comet. But the part I like the most, and I think what makes the, uh, the anecdote here, is that when friends urged Dobson to patent his new invention, he refused. Dobson said, these are gifts to humanity. Said a longtime friend of his, Dobson's goal was to open astronomy to the common man. And we salute him for doing so. Our stat of the day, and we have uh, both Gordon and Gary to thank for sending this to us is that only 16% of Americans can find Ukraine on a map. And the median respondent to the 2,066 people polled who were asked to find Crimea in Ukraine was about 1,800 miles off. Dovetailing with this item was the fact that the more inaccurate the respondent's perception of where Crimea was, the more anxious they were for the U.S. to get involved. And I would recommend, dear listener, that you go on the web and take a look at the actual map that accompanies this story to observe the fact that some people think that Crimea is in Canada. One person put it in Madagascar, and at least one placed it somewhere close to Iowa. Of course, it does explain why someone might think, well, hell, Crimea, it's just, it's just right here near Iowa. What, what, we can invade that, no problem. Our bonus stat of the day is 27.8 as in miles per hour, as in the fastest running time a human, in this case Usain Bolt, has ever clocked. This does allow us to segue into what we think might be a world record for ourselves. And then we again get to mention the mantis shrimp, which has the fastest strike in the marine world at 45 miles an hour. Yes, faster than Usain Bolt can run. We mentioned the mantis shrimp now four times since the start of the year. We're pretty sure that's got to be some kind of record. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Grandma's retirement, perhaps. 
with the news that a Long Island family is suing a nursing home after discovering a photo of its 85-year-old mother stuffing a dollar bill into the briefs of a male stripper. Franklin Youngblood says his mother Bernice, who suffers from dementia, doesn't remember the, quote, entertainment event, unquote, featuring the stripper, which was arranged by the home's staff. The lawsuit is calling the brief stuffing a form of elder abuse. We at Radio Parallax would state that, well, it, it, it does sound rather ill-advised, but is this elder abuse? We don't think so. It was, on the other hand, a bad week again for the cruise industry last week with the news that Brazilian police boarded an Italian cruise ship to rescue workers from what they called slave-like conditions. Evidently responding to a plea for help from some of the Magnificas crew, police removed 11 workers who said they'd been sexually harassed and forced to work for up to 16 hours a day. MSC Cruises, which owns the Magnifica, denied the allegations. We'll have to follow that one. It was, finally, an ugly week last week for justice, yet again, with the news that a New York City court stenographer allegedly went rogue and simply typed, I hate my job, over and over, instead of trial dialogue in 30 different cases. It's noted that the bad transcripts may imperil convictions in at least 10 cases that are on appeal. Our question is, how it can be that 10 cases get as far as being appealed and no one's looked at the court records? We don't understand. And we have some congratulations to offer up. First, to the Sacramento Bee, which announced that reporters Cynthia Hubert and Philip Reese are finalists for a Pulitzer Prize for the investigative reporting category. They were named finalists for a series of stories stemming from one man's account of his discharge from Nevada's primary hospital for mentally ill people. He was then stuck on a Greyhound bus bound for Sacramento. We hope uh, this story does earn a Pulitzer for Cynthia Hubert and Philip Reese. I wonder why it is this topic had been ignored for so very long. Anyone in the medical profession, such as yours truly, has been aware of this sort of thing for decades. It also raises the greater question of how it is that Sacramento takes not only people from mental hospitals in Nevada, but homeless people from all over the United States and concentrates them in our downtown. We think it's not an accident that the collapse of the downtown economy has coincided with the vast influx of unfortunate individuals. The Nevada Adult Mental Health Services sent this guy to Sacramento for a reason. We'll, of course, continue to talk about that. And it also turns out that a Pulitzer Prize has been awarded to a UC Davis professor. In fact, it's his second. Alan Taylor, professor of history at UCD for the last two decades, got awarded a Pulitzer, as we note, the second, for his account of a little-known episode in the history of slavery in the United States. The book was The Internal Enemy, Slavery and the War in Virginia, 1772 to 1832. Pulitzer jurors described it as a meticulous and insightful account of why runaway slaves in the colonial era were drawn to the British side as potential liberators. Perhaps Dr. Taylor will speak to us on this program about this interesting topic. And we wonder about another uh, 
Pulitzer in the making regarding the Sacramento Bee's investigation of the Bay Bridge. There seems to be a great deal of concern about uh, the cable sections and rods on the new $6.5 billion San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge. Thanks to some lapses in construction, it appears that uh, they are corroding. By the way, yours truly asked a civil engineer a couple weeks back about whether he thought there was a worry about the Bay Bridge, and he said, uh, not in our lifetime. He, however, did not think very highly of the long-term prospects of the bridge. And by the way, how did a $2 billion bridge turn into a $6.5 billion bridge? Our understanding is that a lot of people wanted it to look really cool. And it does look pretty cool, but was that worth an extra $4 billion? And it does look pretty cool, but was that worth an extra $4.5 billion? That's a lot of cool. And speaking of cool and press coverage, why is it that picnic day, cool event that it is, has been tainted a bit by all these references to how we only had so many arrests? I made the mistake of watching the nightly news, which is almost always a mistake, to see the usual idiot reporter with the microphone asking stupid questions to people. In this case, it was someone in law enforcement about how many arrests for drunkenness and disorderly behavior they've had. And while it's true, Pioneer Days up in Chico was canceled many years ago in the wake of a lot of unruly behavior from out-of-towners, seems to me this has never been a major problem for picnic day. Yes, there was a fatality some years back when a gentleman intoxicated apparently fell off a, a porch and such, but a large number of people in any one spot enjoying themselves year after year, and you're going to have occasional mishaps. Anyway, by all accounts, it sounds like the 100th annual picnic day was a big success. I know Mrs. McMillan was uh, bummed that he forgot about it and therefore didn't go over to check out the anechoic chamber. I didn't forget. I was not informed. <laughs> I see. Quite a difference. Well, maybe somebody engineering will take us into the anechoic chamber if we ask nicely. Maybe we could record something in there and have our listeners see how different it sounds. Good idea. All right, as someone who's definitely not an anechoic chamber or an echo chamber would be our good pal, Mr. Will Durst. Hey guys, Will Durst here to congratulate the GOP for doing it again. Just when you think they might be getting it, they go out of the way to prove they don't get it. What culturally tone-deaf move did they pull this time? They shut down debate on the Paycheck Fairness Act, which would require employers to show why they're paying male and female employees different salaries for doing the same job. A U.S. Census study found that women earned 77 cents for every dollar earned by a man. And why businesses are hiring men in the first place when they could save 23% by hiring women remains a mystery. Every single Republican voted against the bill and every Democrat for it. Yeah, corporations are people, but women? Well, we really don't want to go there right now. Obviously, what women need to do is incorporate. Representative Lynn Jenkins, Republican from Kansas, said that many ladies she knows finds the Democrats' attitude condescending. 
Yes, paying ladies the same wages as gentlemen is very condescending, just like the 19th Amendment was extremely patronizing, and granting women control over their own bodies is exceedingly supercilious. Mitch McConnell claims Harry Reid has engineered another stunt to restart a phony war on women, trying to energize the key elements of Democratic victories in 2012. But you know what? Energizing women, not such a bad idea. After all, they are the majority. And as far as stunts go, this is only the third failed attempt to pass the Paycheck Fairness Act for Democrats, still 48 shy of GOP cracks at repealing Obamacare. The bad news is, still a long way to the midterms. By the time the two sides are done, the American landscape is going to look like a Game of Thrones wedding reception. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. It's a nice day for a white wedding. It's a- All right, let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. we got lots and lots of ground to cover. Stick around. Hey, What's your vice wish? Hey, little sister, shotgun, oh yeah. Hey, little sister, who's your superman? Hey, little sister, shotgun. 